Welcome back to another episode of Soccer from the Zoo's Sporting Kansas City Update. I'm Kyle Pinnell, and I'm very excited to be joined by SB Nations, the Blue Testament uh, site manager here, Thad Bell. Thad, how are you doing today? I am good, and I'm pleased that you're excited. <laughs> I mean, it's Monday morning, and we're going to talk soccer, so I don't know what's more exciting than that. <laughs> not much. Not much. Not much. Well, I, I did want to start with just to know, get to know a little bit more about you. I know you've covered the team for quite a while and just how long has that been? How, how long have you covered soccer in Kansas city in general? I'm going to go back just a little bit further for you, but I am an original season ticket holder for the Wiz. Still am uh, wife and daughter sit in the seats and I usually shoot the games, um, but I kind of backed into covering them around 2008 uh, I was in the corporate world and we were, I was working from home a lot and the wizards were pretty hurting for fans and they were like, Hey, people come down and watch practice. And I, so I took them up on that when I could slide out of work a couple times and I took my camera one day and posted some photos from practice on a uh, big soccer forum and people loved it. So I started a blog so they could be kind of kept in one place and I could comment on them a little easier. And one thing led to another. And all of a sudden one day they're like, yeah, you want to shoot a game? I'm like, sure. And then they said, uh, oh, I, then I said, Hey, if I'm, if I'm considered media now, can I do interviews? And they're like, well, only like third string guys and, you know, front office staff, you know, stuff like that. I'm like, okay. So, you know, one of my first big interviews was with the technical director, Peter Vermees before he was the coach. That's and crazy. Just, and just kind of built from there. And I've kind of written for a few different places and shot pretty much everything at some point that happened in Kansas city area. Yeah. And I'll go from there. So you're an original season ticket holder for the Wiz, And so I kind of want to look at this from both, both sides. What's been your favorite memory as far as being a fan, whether it be in those uh, Wiz days or more recently and, What's your favorite um, memory from covering games like you have recently? Okay, favorite, probably favorite memory as a, as a fan was um, shortly after my daughter was born. She was just, she went to games like, you know, weeks old. Wife didn't really like it with all the noise and stuff, but too bad. Um, but during games and the uh, especially we had uh, Carlos Marinelli on the team. There was a bunch of Argentinians there and they would bring, they would show up late. They'd bring drums in and start beating through the concourse and go down and into the stands. And my daughter's like little and clapping along. And then she'd go like dance afterwards with the drums and stuff like that. So that was like, you know, that start of a new soccer fan kind of memory for me. And she's, she's a huge fan now. Uh, probably favorite from covering the team was there's been a couple of big moments where I've got to be on the field as you know I was shooting and I was like right there seeing the things and so I'm going to do two of them on you sorry but one of them would be uh, when the Wizards beat Manchester United and you know it's like hey that's not supposed to happen and shorthanded and all that and it was just such a moment seeing those guys beat you know Ryan Giggs and uh, skulls and stuff like that. So that was pretty cool. But then being on the field when they uh, won the Open Cup in 2012. Uh, so that was just, you know, that first big moment. So that's awesome. Has there been a picture you've taken maybe that turned out really well or, or maybe even one that you thought was okay that kind of blew up when you posted it or 
Um, just looking back and, and seeing if you remember any of those type of pictures, obviously you've been doing it for a while. Um, actually I'll do, I'll do two of those on you also, but I think those are both from, um, the MLS cup. Um, I sh one of them was actually from the week before the, the Western conference, the conference tie, the conference final. And when, uh, they won and everybody comes charging towards Jimmy Nielsen in goal. So, you know, he's just got his arms outstretched and everybody's like getting ready to pile on to him. But then um, this one's goofy, and I post it every once in a while. Nobody seems to ever get it as much as I do. But from the MLS Cup, Aurelian Collin kind of ended up being the big hero. Scored a goal and scored in um, the penalties and, you know, came within a hair's breadth of getting a red card and get kicked out of the game, but all that. But right at the beginning of the game, it was just lined up perfectly where the MLS Cup is there, and he was in the background. And I, like, focused on the cup. And I focused on him and I just, it felt like there was like a gene. I always say it was like, it looks like a genie rising out of the cup. And he was the guy who was the savior for that game. I, it's like I said, nobody ever seems to like it as much as I do, but. That, that's cool. Um, I, I wanted to also, I, of course, have you on the talk about the team a little bit, lots of interesting things happening. I know there were a bunch of press conferences last week. Things are starting to ramp up for preseason but I kind of want to go back to last season, the last time we saw the team 3-0 against um, Minnesota United in that playoff game. And obviously not the way that the team wanted to leave the season, but uh, what did you learn or take away from that game? Um, just kind of the look back at last season and kind of go into this upcoming one. Um, good question. Well, one was with that last couple games of the season in the playoffs, you know, they didn't have Polito. Kendo was playing very little. Um, they, they never said it, but I think he was recovering from COVID. You know, they, they would never reveal that information of who had it, but he, he had been out for a little while and it looked like he was possibly one of those guys recovering from it. So he wasn't playing very much. So, you know, such a big different, such a yeah. different team when you didn't have those guys on the field, but uh, the, the defensive woes from 2019 and you could actually see them back in 2018. They were still there in 2020 and they just needed, to, they still need to figure out the right way to cover everything. I'm a very big believer that people like will say, well, this guy's a better player, but is he a better cog in the big puzzle? You know, is he a better piece in that big puzzle? And I'm a very big believer that you got to find out who those, those guys are. And then when you have to change one, sometimes you have to change two. And I don't think that they ever quite got that worked out or maybe they just didn't have all the right pieces at that point. But Yeah, I, I look back at that game and I think I'll, there's a lot of what ifs there, of course, with the two. Or I know Johnny Russell had a shot opening that was a goal line clearance and another off the post, I think, in the opening five minutes. It's hard to think against a team like Minnesota United that likes to sit back if Sporting gets the first goal there, how that game changes and it's not 3 nothing going into halftime and then the second half was more dull, but I, I guess I think back to Kevin Molino and uh, Reynoso kind of in their counterattacking and their, their ability. Um, but, but yeah, those are, that's kind of what I took away from that game. And now I'm kind of curious going to this season, just what are some of your overall thoughts on the roster or what we know to be the roster so far? Getting younger all the time um, with uh, Gerso gone, Hurtado gone, Felipe Gutierrez, who didn't contribute last year at all anyway. 
Um, there's going to be young guys that have to be stepping up and have to improve. If you pick, you know, the best 11, whatever you think that is, it's probably, it's a good team that can compete with most every team in the league on a daily basis. But is that depth going to step up? Is all the young guys going to contribute? Um, you know, Polito needs to stay healthy and not get called up too often. Johnny Russell, same thing. Shelton needs to put in a couple. And then whoever, you know, relieves them needs to put in a few goals. So. Who Who is that young player you want to, or you're kind of keeping an eye on? I know you bring up who steps up in, in that death, death type of role. Are there... Or, yeah, are there players or two that maybe you're keeping an eye on? One of my favorite players, well, I, I always have an affinity for the academy guys, you know, the guys who come through and become homegrowns. So I always have that liking for them just because I've probably seen them grow from being, you know, a young teenager to playing for the first team. But one of the guys that I think I would be really interested to see how he performs at MLS is Wilson Harris. He, I, the first time I saw him play for the Academy, I was like, ah, he's okay, but not nothing special. And then he's all of a sudden with the second team with Swill Park, uh, now Sporting KC2. And I'm like, okay, you know, it's interesting. That's nice. I gave him a chance, but he's probably not, oh, wait a minute. He just scored and he scored again. And he scored every other game, essentially every time, every level he's been at. So it's interesting. I really want to see how he does at MLS. He's not the fastest guy he's not the biggest guy he's not the strongest guy but he seems to have a very good nose for goal a knack for making the run at the right time and with last year with with sporting kc2 they were on the road almost all year because sporting just said they kind of wrote it off and let them go play out they only had a couple home games and it was just you know uh they weren't getting loans from the first team and everything else. So it was them guys alone against uh, some of the best teams in USL. And they still managed to hold their own and not do too bad. And Wilson Harris was often, you know, still scored at a good rate, but they rarely were able to dominate games possession wise, just because they were a younger team and shorthanded and stuff like that. So I'd love to see how he could do on a uh, sporting team that actually mm-hmm controls possession like you know Vermees has wanted to in the past can he make those runs in the box and just poke him home and is he a player you see fitting in kind of looking at that left wing depth especially has been of late or is he more of a be up front type of number nine in, in those channels yeah I, I definitely see more in the center channels um you know again he's he's proved me wrong a couple times already admittedly so maybe he could do that mm-hmm. he could be a winger but i really see him more as the center guy um he's going to be you know you slide a pass through to him and he's going to make the good run to to get a foot on it kind of guy yeah and you kind of look at the depth behind Polito. i think that's been a talking point as well Kyrie shelton i believe there is there but eric hurtado leaving and there's some places to fill there. Uh, another guy who came up through the academy, a bigger name now, Jean-Luc Abusio. Lots of conversation about him and that midfield position. I know um, it was asked of, of him in the press conferences and that whole story. But um, for those who follow the team, it, they usually know that it's Peter likes to use more of dual eights and then the number six than any type of number 10. Yep. What are your overall thoughts on Busio's role this season and what steps he needs to take to kind of Fit in there, obviously, number 10 in number, but probably going to be more of a box-to-box number eight. 
Yeah, it's. I, I was. I think I was one of the first people really saying that Sporting used a dual eights and no real ten. Yeah. Um, even when Failhopper was here, he was more of a ten, but still, it was more of a box to box kind of role. And but it, it, a lot of times I'll write it as they're they're eight slash tens because everybody's expected to score. Everybody's expected to create. Everybody's expected to go from box to box, attack, defend, all that. So you you got to put out max effort in there in whenever you're in that midfield role. But Busio is at that cusp right now where he needs to um, he needs to step up. And I don't want to say step up as in he's not trying or anything like that, but he needs to continue to progress the way that people hope he can. And then he, if he does, then he's going to be in Europe in the next year. And if he doesn't, yeah. then he's going to be in MLS for a couple more years. The uh, He's got all the potential to do that. I I, it's interesting because I sometimes I think his talents are would be better on a different team than sporting because Peter ex, has expect expectations that you play a certain way. You have certain responsibilities, offensive, defensive, uh, in transition, et cetera, where Busio might be a guy who would be better with having more freedom allowed to be kind of in those space. He could find his space where other people could find him and then he could turn and do something with it. Um, so it's when I've seen him play for the Academy, he always had that. He kind of had more freedom to do that sort of thing. Yeah. And obviously it was against lesser competition, but he was younger at the time too. And I would, one of the things I noted was he would disappear for part of the game. I just wouldn't, it wouldn't even see him. And then all of a sudden he would five, 10 minutes, turn it, be found by other players and just dominate the competition. And I think he could still do that at the next mm-hmm. level. Um, but he would have to have that freedom to do so. And I don't think he's going to have that with sporting as much as other teams might allow him where it's out on the wing. He might actually have a little more of that freedom. Yeah. That, that's a really good way to put it. I, I've done a lot of thinking about that, but that freedom and element of that, I know uh, Remy Martin coming into the team, you have a solid, solid midfield. I'll be interested to see how that goes. And something that stood out to me last season when, really getting to see the team in person a few times is is that back line and how that was more of a weakness for the team. If you kind of look at all the strengths and weaknesses as a whole, obviously finishing first in the West is a good accomplishment, but it seemed there were just times where a little too slow, a runner gets in behind and that usually resulted in a goal. Um, what were really your thoughts on the back line last year overall in the and Of course, Sporting brings in Nicholas Isamat Marin, I believe is, is he just one of those plug and play him there? And how do you see that shaking out this season? Yeah, I think, well, it's, it's again, interesting. Cause I go back to what I was saying earlier about how, you know, it's a puzzle where everything yeah. has to fit together just right. I think a lot of times you could have the slower center back like Fontas or, you know, Beasler was slowing down or some of those kind of guys. If you have quick, outside backs and quick midfielders to cover them. If you don't, then your midfield, you know, it's, it's all that um, slippery slope. I'm not, yeah. not thinking of the right term, but if one thing isn't there, then everything has to cover and, and it doesn't work as well together. I think with Lindsay back there, he was slightly more defensive than Zussi and definitely less offensive with Dia out there on the left. He was quicker than, uh, at least he was quicker to respond defensively than Marin was at times. And with Winston Reed out there, he was good at very at controlling things. So usually that defense was a little bit better. 
but you have to have the midfield in front of it doing what it needs to do. And if they're not slowing things down, which that's, if you don't have a somebody to replace a healthy Espinoza, cause he's obviously aging out, you know, mm-hmm. great player and will still do lots of good minutes, but he's aging out. If you don't have people to replace that bite in the midfield and slow things down and, turn the, the the attackers into the right spots of the field for the defense to cover it. Cause that's all, that's a lot of times that people didn't really see is the, yeah, they go running by the defender, but that's because the midfielder didn't turn them in the right direction to, to be covered. If they, they maybe weren't in the right spot, they weren't fast enough. They made a mistake, you know, whatever it was, it, it's, it's that everything defends from the front all the way back. Everything attacks from the back all the way forward. Mm-hmm. So it, anyway, that's my, my two cents. Yeah. Do you think that has now that I think about it with that two number eights or the eight tens, like you say, do you think that plays in a little bit with the midfield, maybe being caught out of position a little too much as far as having two pl- two players on either side with the freedom to go up, maybe sometimes Busio is too far in attack midfield gets stretched. And then you can only do so much to cover ground. And do you think that kind of plays a role if sporting maybe tries and has an eight sitting farther back or, You've watched the team much longer than I have. That's just something that came to mind as, as you answered my last question. No, I, I do think it does play into it. The um, both of those both of those uh, advanced midfielders, the two eight slash tens, have to know when to cover the other one. If they're both too far forward, if the uh, if the winger isn't kind of covering back, if the if the you know when they were best in the attack and they were really dominant, like in twenty. 18 you would often see espinoza russell and zussi like swapped i mean they would you know zussi would be in the midfield and russell would be the right back and espinoza be the wing and it would just be like totally wrong but it worked because they were all covering each other and they worked very well together the other side didn't always work as well together um because that was often gerso or shallowy and uh sinovic as a left back Mm -hmm. and i forget and where I find some fault that a lot of people never did was uh, Felipe Gutierrez and be a fabulous, amazing, good player. But because of the way sporting worked, he was often going into the box and that hole would open up behind him. And, you know, I, I will get crucified by people on this. So that's fine. <laughs> he, he, again, not saying he's not a great player, not, or not talented or, you know, anything like that, but his best offensive year and his best play for sporting was also sporting's worst year, 2019. Mm-hmm. So the more he got involved offensively, just leaving all that space. And then you, you look at the midfield getting too stretched. All of a sudden there comes the other team on a break. Yep. Essentially. And they would be able to run through the spot that he left open. Sometimes Ilya would get farther into the attack. And now they're broken through that line and running at the defense with nobody to slow him down. Yeah, that, that makes sense. It's it's definitely an interesting puzzle, I think. It all starts, I mean, you've, you've referenced puzzle pieces as a team. I think that starts in the midfield. Before you even talk about the attack, we're sporting while lacking a little bit of natural depth. Ha, has a Polito, has a Johnny Russell. Defense, the wing uh, outside backs are fine. Um, before I kind of wrapped up sporting, I had a f- one or two more questions. One, I know I asked Peter about this, and I completely fluffed the names, as you know. But same thing with the designated player spot. Sporting has one of those. And Peter didn't directly answer kind of what I was asking as far as what the team just looks for in general. But as someone who covers the team, 
that's that's such a valuable place. Uh, you only get three of them as far as MLS roster construction goes, and you got to take advantage of that spot. Where do you think Sporting needs to go with that, or what do you think they should be looking into with that position or at that spot on the field, I should say? Yeah, it's – I would – it's interesting because if you look at the what, let's just assume the starting lineup is Shelton, Polito, Russell across the top, uh, Kendo, Busio, and uh, Walters or Ilya in the in the middle. Dia, uh, I call him Nim because I I know I would butcher his yeah. name. Um, you know, uh, uh, Punchek and Lindsay to start at least across the back line. What spot? because you don't want to usually use, use a designated player for a defender or a keeper, which we don't need. Uh, so who would you knock out of that starting spot? Busio, who you want to continue to develop and, and sell on at some point. Uh, Kenda, who you basically just spent a ton of money on to buy his contract. Uh, Walters, who we don't really know anything about his contract, but it's probably no, not that, that high, uh, you know, in DP for a, uh, a six kind of role also isn't usually done. So then you have Polito. No way you're going to like try to replace him with a yeah, DP. No. Russell, no. So it would essentially only be a left wing, which Shelton does well out there. Um, I know people people have a lot of hate for Shelton, uh, you know, and I think it's unfair. His role isn't – people say everybody's role is to score. Every attacker needs to score but that's not necessarily true. Like if you look at sometimes hockey, you'll have a, a winger who is a more of a checking winger to just, you know, body up on people, um, try to create turnovers for other people to then do something with. And I see Shelton as kind of that uh, power forward, checking forward uh, from hockey role in, yeah. in soccer. He's not like, he's not dirty or anything, but he's big. He's, he's physical enough. Um, I remember last year in preseason, it was actually after season started, they had a media availability at sporting right before the first game at sporting. And then before everything shut down, but I was talking to Shelton and one of the the quotes he gave me was he likes to bully people. He's the nicest guy in real life. So that's not what he, you know, in real life, he's the nicest, sweetest guy ever, but on the field, he kind of likes to bully defenders. So that's that's where he's at his best is up there. And so now, yes, you could probably buy get somebody who's better than him at all of that. But what is that money necessary at this point? So I think that's why Peter's yeah. going to wait until the summer and and see where the failings are. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think looking at that left wing is obviously the obvious one, but of course you have Shelton there. I think you brushed by it but in number six and I know you just bring in um, Remy Walter there but I just think back to I'm coming out from Portland so Diego Chara when you can get an impactful number six as a Chara or even an Ozzy Alonso of course those are two of the best number sixes in league history arguably you look at that position and you mentioned earlier Roger Espinoza and kind of getting a little older, maybe sporting could benefit from that and that type of player in the midfield, someone who can cover 70 yards of space and clean everything up. I don't know. I mean, that's kind of where my brain goes. Of course, that's also, if you don't spend the money wisely or you get the wrong guy, you kind of find yourself in a hole in that position, but that's kind of where my brain goes. If it's not left wing, maybe a number six in the, in the off season. The, the interesting thing with, with sporting in the number six is he, 
sees that six more as a creator role yeah. than as a as a destroyer role. We've had destroyers there, like uh, Stefan Avre back in the Wizards days for a little bit. Um, I'm trying to think. There's a, another player that was in between Roselle and, and Ilya, and, and I'm blanking on his name right now. I apologize. Uh, but when they had Yuri Roselle, he was more of a creator. When Ilya came in, they were so happy. In the first couple of years, the team was a much better team with him there. I think he just finally got exposed that he's not physical, and if they can speed by him, then he's taken out of the game. So it, yeah. when, when Espinoza was out there, he was that physical presence, but he was also the that one of those eights. Yeah, I, I think – that's just such a hard combination to find. I think the perfect player would be someone with the tenacity of Anazi Alonso or Roger Espinosa even, but that can also play creator. And that's such, that's such a hard combination to find, but I think that's exactly what sporting needs. Um, and, and, finally, and if you find it, it's going to be expensive. You're correct. Now you're looking at the 15, 16 million baseline for impactful offensive um, DP signing. So that's, that's a whole conversation for, <laughs> another day but uh finally with sporting i I know they finished first in the west last season uh kind of hovered around the one to three range and then went went a few rounds in the playoffs but this season what do you think one constitutes maybe as an acceptable season from this team obviously looking at a lot of younger players getting some development time some pieces are there busio's development lots of interesting storylines and then what would you consider a good season for sporting yeah, good season. That's that's uh, you know again a lot of fans will only accept first place in a cup, but um, for me, if if you're finishing top three in the West, you're doing good because it is you know there's a lot of good teams there. Yeah, Seattle, Portland, you know, LA, LA maybe again the other LA maybe again, you know, there's a lot of potentially good teams there, and you know it's. Even, you know, all those good teams, like everybody's like, oh, LAFC is going to be, you know, the class of the league forever. And, well, you know, they fell away last year just by losing my player. So where did Atlanta United go after 2018? Yep. It's and that's that is exactly how every expansion team's fan base gets to be hated is because they think when they come in, they're going to be the king of the league and stay there forever because they have no bad contracts weighing them down when they come in and they can sign new players and choose pick and choose uh as they go so anyway poor cincinnati never got to be good (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i feel so bad about that orlando finally got to be good for one year hey at least cincinnati got a stadium unlike some other recent expansion teams that are still playing in baseball stadiums i i don't know which team that is but there must be one out there yeah, somewhere east, maybe. Somewhere, somewhere east. Yes, correct. But yeah, no, it's MLS is such a funny league at this point, how things go. But that's yeah. So anyway, I think going back to your question is, yeah, to me, if you finish in the top three in in the West, you've had a good season. You know, if they if they fall the second or third, does that mean they regressed? Well, last year was such a weird year. How can you say that? you know, hopefully this year is more normal. It's not going to be normal, but it's going to be more normal, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, so it, ultimately it comes down to how you, to me, you know, it's how you do in the league. It's how you do in the open cup. It's how you do in the playoffs. That's, that's how you, you know, that's where you judge the team, you know, um, 
you can it takes a really magical season essentially to be a, a, a shield winner at this point because of how many teams there are um, you know and how much teams will spend on on players at this point so to me if you can just finish top you know near the top in the conference go to the playoffs and do at least some damage in the playoffs you've had a successful season maybe yeah. not as successful as fans will accept yeah I, I think any way you slice it, it for the league and uh, in total, getting into the uh, CONCACAF Champions League, I think, is always because that means you either are one of the best teams in the league or you won uh, the U.S. Open Cup. So I, I or, think that or you get chosen like Atlanta did again. No. You get chosen like Atlanta or you win some one off tournament like Portland did uh, and get into it that way. Uh, I know a little bit about that. The other thing, just watching the teams, I, I remember because I follow Portland and cover them a little bit as well. The amount of late goals they gave up late in the season was ridiculous. I think they gave up a bunch after the 85th and 90th minute. I know Sporting had one game against Chicago where they did that. And I just remember thinking, I'm like, Portland does this like once a month where they just give up some some lead. I know that's completely uh, off topic. But before I let you go, I wanted to ask a few questions about just KCNWSL. Uh, it's exciting for the city to have an NWSL team back. Did you go and shoot a bunch of the games when – uh, the original FC Casey were in town uh, a few years ago. Yeah, I did. Um, pretty much, again, I think I missed maybe three of them over the five years um, that, you know, local. And that was because my daughter had tournaments out of town. Um, and there was even times that when it would conflict with sporting, I would go to the FC Casey game because I wanted them to have at least a minimum of coverage that I knew the star couldn't have cared less at that time. So it, Sometimes, you know, one of the reasons I, in the long run, going back to their very original question, why I do this or, or leading into why I'd be doing this is that I wanted there to be some kind of coverage because nobody cared back then. You know, the star does much better coverage now. Um, and, but for FC Casey, they did almost no coverage at all. And I stood next to photographers that were like, this is stupid. Why am I shooting women's soccer? That's just stupid. And I'm like, really? I mean, you're, you're working for the newspaper and that's what you're <laughs> sitting here saying next to, you know, girls that are the ball kids and stuff. I'm like, it, it was just sad. So. Yeah. Well, it's good. You gave them that coverage and now they're back. Hopefully uh, there's a lot of positive momentum there. Uh, with them coming in. Just what are your overall thoughts from talking to Hugh a little bit in the preseason and uh, looking at the roster as a whole, knowing it's a lot, there's some faces that return from the original FC Casey days, not a lot, but it's also a com more of a complete roster than what Louisville has because it's coming from Utah Royals. It's the same type of makeup. Just what are your overall thoughts on that? Um, I'll, I'll just start with that. Yeah, I think, uh, well, first of all, Hugh Williams is a really good coach and his staff is really good. Goran, Lucas, uh, I don't know Natalia very well, but I've heard very good things about her. And so I think that they will yeah. do okay. I think that this, the team that they inherited from Utah was weak, just very, very weak. It was not a good team when it was in Utah. It was not a good team because it was, it was the roster that left Kansas City and it was not a great team that last year. Um, a lot due to the mismanagement of the owner of that last year. And so it wasn't a good team then. It goes to Utah, and they supposedly have the, – the coach then was Laura Harvey, and she was supposedly a great coach. I've not been a big a fan of her as a lot of people are. 
and they underperformed and underperformed and underperformed. And then they ended up losing three U.S. national team players over the last year, Kristen Press, Becky Sauerbrunn, uh, Kelly O'Hara, right? I believe so, yes. And so they've lost the three national, U.S. national team players who are, you know, you always have to consider to be in the top 30 in the world if they're considered a U.S. national yeah. team player. So they just came with some talented players, but not a lot of star power. They still have Amy Rodriguez, who you know I think is wonderful and in the right conditions can put the ball in the net. Uh, but they just they have to build up that roster, and then with this year with the college draft, I, you know, a lot of the women's soccer experts questioned their drafts, but I'm going to trust in Hugh and the the contacts he has to have drafted good players. In fact, one of them's already went and made a you know a call up to the Canadian national team, which is 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 good. Um, she didn't stay for the tournament, but she's well, she stayed for their practice squad, but she wasn't on the final roster for the She Believes Cup. But anyway, uh, Victoria Pickett. Yeah. But, so I believe that they drafted well, but even with this weird year, is only two of them shows up to camp. Two of them will show up in the middle of the summer, and then two of them will show up next year because of college seniors being allowed to have more eligibility because of COVID. So it's yeah, I think it's just his his challenges to take, and I think that's what he's been focusing on is taking a team that underperformed last year, adding a few pieces, um, remolding the mindset and the style to make the best use of those players. Yeah, that's an interesting point you brought up, and you're right with those uh, the U.S. women's national team looking through. I don't think they don't have a single U.S. allocated player, two nope. Canadian uh, allocated players, but I believe they're one of only a few teams, maybe the only team in the league um, without any call-ups to the U.S. women's national team are, are in that pool, but – but also with, with uh, Hugh Williams and, and his system, I think you're also right with this year being so important for a tactical style to kind of be implemented to make up for some of those flaws. I know he's talked a little bit recently about, you know, playing fast defeat, valuing the ball. Uh, sounds like there's going to be some, pre uh, a little bit of counter-pressing maybe with how it sounds. I don't know what you've taken away from that or how, how do you expect uh, Williams to kind of come out and, with that type of scheme to make up for some of the deficiencies as he's building this team. And I, I don't know just how, what he wants to do there tactically. Yeah. I'm pretty, um, I would almost look at it as they're going to be a, a sporting 2012 kind of team, a high press, create turnovers, create opportunities, uh, fight for, you know, as Vermees used to say, uh, you know, you compete for every inch of the ball rolling kind of thing. You know, it's, uh, I think Hugh's going to have a similar team to that where they're just going to high intensity press, push, um, you know, make you not want to play against them in every every facet of the game and try to try to take advantage of that you know they're yes he's also going to want them to be good passing and you know possession and all that but when you're going up against teams with you know three three or four national team player level on it and you know a couple Canadians and stuff like that it's just going to be hard to have that domination of a game so it, it'll be interesting and I think that they will I think they will do better than they than Utah and FCKC did yeah. the last couple of years. And that's the importance of having a system. And I know I asked a similar question with sporting, but 
is there a player or two um, on this team that you are keeping an eye on that you're excited to see maybe how they fit into their role, into this overarching system, or um, any players under the radar? Um, good question. The I, I almost like the similar answer with with sporting. I always, yeah. you know, shiny new object. You know, uh, shiny object new is always going to attract my attention. So draft picks always make me very interested to how they're going to perform and you know like for mm-hmm. academy players for sporting but i i've heard very good things about victoria pickett and the little bit i saw of her was very good the um she was the one that was called up to the canadian team yeah. for the she believes cup and then stayed on their practice roster I've, I've heard very good things from the coaching staff in fact the the one practice we got to see in person one of the coaches said oh she's going to be she'll be called up to the national team one day well i didn't realize it'd be like two weeks later um <laughs> You know, I thought he meant like maybe next year or something, you know, after some more development or something, but it was right away. And that's after she hadn't really played for a year from an injury. So she, she could be very good. I'll be very, very interested to see when uh, uh, Kiki Pickett, no relation mm-hmm. to Victoria Pickett, when she shows up, very speedy, very small, but very speedy outside back to get into the attack. Yeah. So, you know, the, the shiny new objects always attract my attention, but some of the ones that have been there is uh, Lola Bonta. She's going to have to stay strong in that midfield. But there's uh, some players they've signed that we, I don't know how they're going to fit into yet. Um, Chloe Logarza, yeah. probably saying that name badly, uh, Australian player. Uh, she hasn't. She had not showed up to camp as far as I know because uh, probably for COVID restrictions coming out of England mm-hmm. where she was playing. Nobody's answered that question when I've asked it specifically. So, and then of the two Canadian players you mentioned being allocated, Desiree Scott's been there since the She Believes Cup, but Diane Matheson, who is mid to upper thirties now, like 36, yeah. maybe she's been, I think injured and not, showed up to camp yet either so even when they're with their allocated players they haven't been there a lot and they are on the older side so it'll be very interesting to see how he makes over that roster going forward yeah i remember pickett just kind of listening to hughes last press conference last thursday i know he brought up her covering every blade of grass which is always a good thing especially in what he wants to run and really the only updates we've been getting have been either through twitter or through press release email you hear they beat Orlando like 14-0, and Amy Rodriguez has three assists in the opening 10 minutes. Uh, and then that Orlando Pride game, uh, 1-0 there. But with, with this team being so young and obviously not really being able to see it on the field until the first game of the Challenge Cup, essentially, all the, their scrimmages or games are behind closed doors. Uh, what's something you're watching for, especially in the first few games? It could be tactical. It could be player-wise, like you were just talking about. Uh, but just to get an even better barometer for who the team is and what exactly it's setting out to do this season. Yeah, I think we'll, I think we'll start to get a picture, you know, as long as they report the lineups, honestly, um, of who's going to probably be the starters. And, you know, with, with, again, with some of the players having just showed up, uh, Mariana, Lara, Lara, Lara Quint, Quint, yeah. uh, Kristen, 
Edmonds. Yeah. Again, I'm terrible with names, so I apologize to anybody I butcher um, their names. You know, they are also players who just showed up recently. Uh, So it'll be very interesting to see who gets that kind of a edge on the starting lineup over the next, you know, I know they're just scrimmaging against college teams for the the next three. And yeah, I, I would, I would love to sneak in and watch one of them, but uh, yeah, probably won't happen. So anyway, it, just, I think that's where yeah, I'm just very interested to see who's going to be the starters. I think some people that have watched Utah may be surprised at who ends up being starters versus what they've seen before. Yeah. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Hopefully maybe you can get in there and take a few pictures, uh, do something, but if not, we're going to be living vicariously through press release emails on what happened in their best descriptive efforts. Um, same thing with sporting as far as being in Arizona. I don't think there's a live stream, which is no. crazy, but it is what it is. And then it's what that? it is. Um, finally, before I let you go, um, what were you saying? I was going to say, sometimes uh, in Arizona, sporting will do a live, they'll do like when they did the Desert Diamond Cup or whatever, yeah. they would live stream one or two of those games. But it, that was more of the, the tournament doing it. And I don't think they even, I don't think it's even a pretend tournament this time. It's just scrimmages. So, yeah, I think there's scrimmages. And then you have a team. I know I'm hearing from the Portland end, obviously not wanting any of those to get out because they're in the CONCACAF Champions League. So, who knows? Uh, it should be interesting to see the results there. But like I was saying, before I let you go, um, with KCNWSL, with what they have on the roster, kind of similar to sporting, where do you see, not expectations, but where do you kind of see this team finishing in NWSL in this first season? Uh, I want to say middle of the pack, but like right on the cusp of a playoff spot. I'm not sure what the playoffs will be this year because the yeah. past it's been the top four That's teams. That's a top four, yeah. Um, you know, maybe they change it with other weirdness this year, but it, you know, Utah finished, I want to say, six out of nine last year. Or is that Something year like before? that. And they can do better. They, But it has to be a team effort. It can't be like relying on stars kind of thing. Yeah. I, I mean, you look at the teams usually in the playoffs, it's going to be – Portland, I know North Carolina, I know they've lost a lot of pieces, but yep. they're always really good under Paul Riley, and they're usually there. Um, Houston was resurgent last year. They looked pretty good. They have some pieces there as well. So you would think fight for the top three, four. I, I think Portland's probably clear number one. They're probably making the playoffs again like they normally do, and I know I'm biased there. Or I, I watched them, so um, I'm just trying to think of the league as a whole. But I think if Kansas City is looking at that, I mean, even up to two, if North Carolina regresses a little bit, two, three, four, most of these playoff spots are up for grabs and then just finishing a little higher, I think. I think it will definitely be interesting to see, not just this year, but looking in the future years to see how uh, the club continues to build off of that. But I, I think that's all all I had. And um dad where can people uh, find your work find what you do uh what you write what you take pictures of where can they find that uh let's see the bluetestament.com is where when i post stuff that's where it's at um pictures on instagram thad underscore photo i think is correct i hope uh, i'm not even sure what my twitter is <laughs> It's kind of funny because I don't really. I should like buy the byline or something, if I recall. 
No, that's uh, Mike is down the byline. That's Mike. Okay, I'm try- I'm mixing people up. Um, I'm the back post. I think. There we go. One of the. Yeah, yeah, the back post, and it's the reason I chose that was back when I was first trying when I like early getting on Twitter. I was thinking about covering soccer and hockey. Oh, okay, so it makes sense for both sports. So awesome. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Um, you can find me at Kyle underscore Pinnell underscore on Twitter. You can find the podcast at soccer at the zoo. That is Z O U. And again, the blue Testament, a, a really good site for any KC soccer updates or anything you can get there. That does good work and everyone there does as well. So thank you for listening to another episode and I'll be back on Friday with another Kansas city soccer update.